0: Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Please open your Bibles to the New Testament book of Colossians, chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We'll be reading just a couple of verses, verses 15 and 16. Um, today... I have the great privilege of talking about uh, a topic that's, that's very near and dear to my heart. It's uh, something I think a lot about, something I talk a lot about, something I write a lot about on my blog, something I've uh, spent a lot of money on over the years, and this thing that I'm talking about is the wonderful gift of God of music. I know there's a lot of you who are uh, fans of music and throughout the world, people have adored music and many have commented on the unique power of music. For instance, um, Bono, lead singer for U2, says music can change the world because it can change people. Uh, Jimi Hendrix, many years earlier, said something similar. The great guitarist from the 60s, if there is something to be changed in the world, then it can only happen through music. Uh, These kinds of comments are not limited just to uh, rock musicians. Even those in the church have commented very memorably on the power of music. Martin Luther, the great reformer, says, Next to the word of God, the noble art of music is the greatest treasure in the world. Uh, Personally, I I identify with that. I, I think music is such a wonderful gift of God and certainly something I've treasured Uh, all my life. And uh, there are unique powers in music. There's a book that came out a couple of years ago called The Power of Music that uh, um, holds out hope that music will be able to be used to heal people of diseases like Parkinson's disease. And uh, scientists apparently have found that music um, stimulates more parts of the brain than any other human function that we engage in. Any other human function. Um, So that leads us to the question that I am seeking to answer here this morning. As most of you know, we're going through a sermon series, a question and answer Q&A sermon series, where um, I have received questions from you, the congregation, and we're turning these questions into sermons. started last week. we got two more Sundays after this. And the question this morning is this, why should we sing in worship. Why is music such a big part of what we do here on Sunday mornings? Now we could just say, well, because we just love music. Well, it's it's a little deeper than that. Uh, What are those reasons? Are we singing every Sunday morning here just because we want to attract people to this church? Is that the primary reason, just to try to get visitors to come? Do we sing music because it's an effective tool to manipulate people and kind of work them up? emotionally and get them to have uh, some kind of uh, an emotional experience? Is that why we sing? Uh, Is it just to show that that we're hip, that we're cool, that we're keeping up with the trends and that the music that we play is uh, the music that the world is familiar with and we just want everybody to know that this is a cool church and we do cool music? Is that why we play music here? This is an important question because, given the power of music, it can be misused. Uh, And it actually, throughout the church, has been the occasion for a lot of strife and a lot of disunity, particularly when people start to express their opinions over musical styles. Maybe you've heard this term, worship wars. That's a phrase that has been used to apply to Um, a lot of arguments that have taken place in the church over the years over what kinds of music should be sung in the church. And very sadly, the result of those has been uh, many church splits, a lot of resentment, a lot of hostility. We might conclude from that that maybe it would just be easier if we didn't sing at all. (laughs) But that's not an option for us. And one of the reasons why is because of our text here in Colossians chapter 3 and some of the texts we've already heard from this morning. Colossians 3, uh, verses 15 and 16 give us some instruction about the place of music in our worship. So I'm going to read this now. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word. Colossians 3, 15 and 16. <clears throat> Paul, writing this letter to the church in Colossae, Uh, many centuries ago, and uh, here he's giving instruction to the church, and he says in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Holy Spirit, would you please work among us, soften our hearts to receive the instruction from your word, give our minds the ability to understand what you are saying, and send us away from this place transformed in the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So why are we singing in worship? Um, You know, we could just come and and do a lot of different activities here and have what might be considered a fairly fruitful worship service. We could just come and we could pray. We could hear the word taught and preached. We could celebrate the sacraments, sacraments. We could have fellowship with one another and then just go home and not sing. I mean, a lot would have happened in that service. But is that an option for us as Christians? And I would say no, that there are reasons why we should sing in worship. And I'm going to share with you five brief reasons why we should sing. And the first is simply this singing is commanded by God. That might be one of the most fundamental reasons. Singing is commanded by God. It's interesting, isn't it, that God could have commanded a number of things. He could have commanded that we come together and have a parade to celebrate His goodness. He could have commanded that we, I don't know, shoot off fireworks or something. I mean, there's a number of different activities He could have commanded that we do. But He commanded that we sing. And so you see that in verse 16 very clearly, right? Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. And then in addition to that, there should be singing. Do you see that in verse 16? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And this is just one of many passages that issue this command. Here's Psalm 30. Sing praises to the Lord. O you His saints, and give thanks to His holy name. Sing praises to the Lord. 1 Chronicles 16, sing to the Lord, all the earth, no exceptions there, all the earth tell of His salvation from day to day. Ephesians 5, a passage very similar to the one we're looking at here in Colossians, be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. And then we look throughout the rest of Scripture and we see a number of examples of people breaking out into song, like after God delivered Israel from Egypt. Moses in Exodus 15 immediately leads the people in a song of rejoicing and gladness, celebrating God's deliverance. Um, The passage that Felix read to us a moment ago from 2 Chronicles chapter 5, as the ark is brought to the temple, accompanying that significant event is the singing of God's people. And in Luke chapter 1, when Mary is told that she is going to give birth to the Christ child, she breaks out in the Magnificat, Mary's song. She responds in singing. It's very clear, singing is commanded by God. You are commanded to sing. I am commanded to sing. Direct commands, examples of singing. There's a lot of reasons why, when you come here, you might not sing. (laughs) You might say to yourself, well, I'm not good at it. I don't sing very well. I'm afraid that I'm going to disturb or distract other people because I'm tone deaf and I've got this horrible voice. You could say, well, I'm afraid of being embarrassed. What if I come in at the wrong time? What if I come in late? What if I start singing when nobody else is singing? And you're afraid of being embarrassed and drawing attention to yourself. Maybe you come and you just, you don't feel like it. You're just depressed. You've had a hard week. You don't want to sing. Or maybe you're a a man and you just think there's just something that's just not manly about singing and so I'm going to show how manly I am by sitting here with my mouth closed during the whole worship service. If you're a Christian, friends, what I want you to see from these passages is that none of these is a legitimate excuse for you not to sing. God has commanded you to sing. When you become a Christian, you are made a new creature in Christ. You are born again by God's Spirit. You're made a child of God. And what is packaged up with that is that God is making you a singer. That's one part of what it is to be a Christian, it's to be a singer. So you're commanded to sing. That's the first reason why we sing and worship. The second reason that we sing and worship is because singing tends to implant the Word in our hearts. Let's look at verse 16 again. Paul mentions the Word of Christ. Let the Word of Christ, let, let the Scriptures, the Word of Christ as it has been recorded in Scriptures, how we look at that today, let the Word dwell in you richly. Let this Word dwell among the church Uh, Not just here and there, but, but richly, like a palace filled with treasures, is the way one commentary said it. The church should be a place where the Word of God, the Scriptures, are prevalent, richly present. Well, how does this take place? The verse goes on, through teaching... And admonishing one another. We see that teaching is not only given to pastors and elders, but brothers and sisters in Christ are called to teach and admonish one another in all wisdom. But there's another way that this teaching and this sharing of the word takes place it's through the singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. There's a connection here between the word richly being present in the church and our singing. Through our singing, the word is implanted in our hearts. Singing is not just a teaching tool, but it is, in part, a way for us to learn. There is something about music that helps implant the word in our hearts. Here's what John Frame says, written a good book on worship. He says, poetic musical forms impart vividness and memorability to God's words. That vividness and memorability, in turn, drive the word, into our hearts so that it becomes precious to us and motivates us to praise and obedience. A good example of this takes place uh, in my own household. My, my wife um, is sometimes uh, expresses to me that she doesn't feel like she has a very good memory and that she can't remember things, and yet I hear her wandering around the house all the time singing. She just sings out loud, and it's really beautiful. My wife sings very well, and it's Uh, enjoyable to listen to. But one of the things I notice is how effortlessly the words just flow off her mouth when she sings. She brings to mind songs that she hasn't sung in years and years and years. I've been married to her for 20 years, and sometimes I still hear her sing a song I'd never heard her sing before, and the words are right there on her lips. Because there's something about music that helps us remember. A seminary professor told me once I think it was in a preaching class, a humbling thing to consider. He said, when you get to be a pastor, the people in your church, churches will remember more what they sing than what you preach. And, and that's probably true, because of the way music and melody works with words to implant these words in our hearts. Well, <laughs> how, how does this take place How can we make sure that the word is implanted in our hearts best through song? Now, I want to take just a a moment to comment on something that might be unfamiliar to some of you. It's this thing called exclusive psalmody um, that has been practiced in our tradition, actually. Um, And it kind of comes up in the text here, so that's why I'm talking about it. But there are some who would say that, The way to make sure that the Word is implanted in our hearts is to only sing the Word. I mean, isn't that a safe way to do this? If you really want the Scripture to be implanted in your heart, then sing nothing but Scripture. And so there are some churches that will only sing psalms during their worship services. And if you look at verse 16, you'll see here that Paul does mention singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, now, you know that we sing more than psalms here. We, we do not hold to exclusive psalmody, but why not? I mean, at some level, it does seem to make some sense. Yeah, how can you argue with singing Scripture all the time? Um, well, here's why. I mean, first of all, just looking to the passage, notice that Paul mentions more than just psalms, right? <laughs> psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, not just any song, not just secular songs, but spiritual songs. But um, most commentators believe that the word psalms there is not referring necessarily to the psalms of the Old Testament, that this is um, kind of a generic word for a worship song. So that's probably not what Paul has in mind here. But even if he does, I mean, let's consider some of the other ways that we do worship uh, in the church. When sermons are preached— I use my own words to preach a sermon to you. I don't feel compelled to only preach sermons that are in the Bible. You know, there are sermons in the Bible. Uh, If we really wanted to be faithful to this idea, maybe I should only just repeat the sermons in the Bible. Same thing with prayers. There's many prayers in the Bible. But when we pray, we use our own words. We don't feel that we have to only pray prayers that are in the Bible. And I think the same applies to music. It is legitimate for us to use our own words to capture the word of Christ uh, in the Bible, in our songs. Another reason why exclusive psalmity, I think, is probably not a good idea is the fact that the psalms, as wonderful as they are and as truthful as they are, do not talk about Jesus explicitly. I mean, the psalms point to Jesus The psalms prophesy the coming of the Messiah. There's a sense in which the psalms are about the coming Messiah. But they were written hundreds of years before Jesus came. And so to limit yourself to only singing psalms limits us in the way we can sing about Jesus and all that he's done and all that we know about the implications of his work on the cross for us and in his resurrection from the dead. So there's something somewhat impoverished, I think, about limiting are singing only to the psalms. But having said all this, could we as a church stand to sing more psalms on Sunday morning? Uh, I think the answer is is yes. The psalms were given to God's people to use in worship and to sing, and we have sung some psalms here, and uh, perhaps this is an application to to myself uh, here as I'm involved in planning worship to make sure that we sing more psalms. But singing implants the word in our hearts. So that's another reason why we sing. Third reason why we sing. Singing allows us to express unity. Through our singing, we can express the unity that we have as brothers and sisters in Christ. Again, verse 16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and, uh, and hymns in and spiritual songs. Now, th- this verse very often is misunderstood because when it says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, often people think of that as an individualistic command, that this is just God talking to individuals to make sure that we hide the word in our hearts. And of course, that's something as individuals we should do, but that's not what Paul has in mind here. The the word you there is plural, and you see as the verse goes on, teaching and admonishing one another, clearly what Paul has in mind here is the corporate body of Christ, not just individuals. What he's saying is that this is what should take place among the body, in the congregation, in the church. The word of Christ should dwell in all of you, should dwell among you as a church richly. And then he, as he goes on in wisdom, and then singing psalms. So I think there's a, a corporate, a community aspect to what Paul is commanding here. The Word of Christ dwells in us, and then together as God's people, we sing, and partially that is expressing the unity that we have in Christ. And that is what makes it such a tragic thing that music has been the occasion for so much hostility and division in the church. Very often this debate breaks down to this division between those who like the newer songs, those who like the older songs, those who like contemporary songs versus those who like traditional songs or hymns. And in many cases, Christians forget about the unity that they have in Christ, and they allow their differences of opinion to drive them apart. So I just want to share with you briefly some of these arguments that are made. Those um, who would say that newer songs are all that we should sing, those who would have an aversion to hymns and traditional songs would say this. They'd look at a hymn and they'd say that hymn is, it's so, it's so joyless. It, it just seems to move so slowly. It, it uses all this archaic language, words that I don't understand. Um, If we only sing hymns, we're not going to be able to connect with the contemporary generation because, in particular, young people have no acquaintance with hymns, they don't understand hymns, they're not familiar with hymns, you can't grow a church singing hymns. And, in fact, if you look in the Bible, you'll see that the instruments referred to are things like a lyre and a cymbal. A lyre is a stringed instrument, kind of like a guitar, actually, so... Uh, If we look in the Psalms, the instruments described are more like guitars and drums than like an organ. We don't have any biblical precedent, actually, for an organ. So this is what these would say who um, have an aversion to singing hymns. But there are, are another camp that would say that we shouldn't sing contemporary songs, that the newer songs are not worth singing because they're poorly written, they're very um, me-centered, very man-centered, they tend to be theologically shallow, they tend to be very repetitious, they tend to lack a certain seriousness or solemnity or gravity, they seem to be kind of dumbing down the church and musical forms, and so therefore contemporary songs, new songs are not preferable and we should stick to the old hymns. That's a very brief description of the debate, and people get entrenched in those feelings and have struggled um, to make a connection. My my feeling is is this. I I think both of those arguments have merit. I think everything that I've said representing both of those arguments have legitimate points. And so that's why, here at New Life, we try very hard to strike a balance. Actually, what we do is in the five songs that we generally sing here every Sunday morning, we try for two hymns, two newer songs or contemporary songs, and then one song that's kind of a, a modern hymn. So, Creation Sings, that we just sang, for uh, instance, a moment ago, has a hymn form to it, but it's a newer song. It was written, I don't know, in the last 10 or 20 years. So, we're seeking to strike a balance here because we believe that the Holy Spirit was at work in the 16th and 17th centuries when hymns were being written, but we believe that the Holy Spirit is at work today too, guiding and leading and equipping musicians to write songs uh, that are worthy and beneficial to the church. So sad that so many congregations have been hurt, damaged, split up, Uh, so many people leaving the church disillusioned and hard-hearted because they've seen the hardness of heart among Christians in uh, dealing with this issue. You know, to those who uh, are against contemporary songs, to those who would say, you know, would would fully agree with everything I said uh, about the me-centeredness and the the overly emotional nature uh, or the repetition of contemporary songs, if that's your view and you just have no patience whatsoever for contemporary songs, I would just say you've got to be careful that the argument that you use against contemporary music doesn't apply equally to the Bible. Because there are some portions of the Bible that share some of the characteristics of contemporary songs. For instance, if you look at Psalm 136, there is a lot of repetition in that psalm. Uh, If you look at Psalm 51, I I went through the psalm and counted it. The word I, me, or my, very personal me-centered pronouns, appears 34 times in that one psalm, in Psalm 51. There are occasions in the Bible where people sing from their own experience. There are places in the Bible where a lot of repetition takes place. So we can't just throw out a song because it's repetitious or because it's me-centered. To those who are against hymns, to those who would say, you know, hymns are archaic, hymns don't speak to the current generation, hymns aren't hip and aren't cool, I would say this. We are not called to be hip and cool. We're not called to imitate the world. We're not called to make sure that our music matches what the world is doing. That's not our responsibility, We're called to set a standard. We're called to sing in a particular way that builds up and implants the Word in your hearts. There's a lot of popular music that doesn't do that, and so we shouldn't do that. That's the purpose. A big, a major, significant reason um, for singing is to get the Word to remind us of our doctrinal convictions, and in my own opinion, there are a lot of contemporary songs that, it's true, they are theologically light. They don't teach. They don't tell us about the implications of Jesus' death on the cross. They don't talk about justification and propitiation in some of these rich, wonderful theological words that capture what it is to be a Christian, what it is to have the condemnation of God removed from us. A lot of songs lack that, and for that reason we shouldn't be singing them. So. Uh, this will make for good uh, discussion in life groups, hopefully, uh, this week, and uh, Pastor Brian actually is teaching a, a class right now on worship, and we'll be covering music here pretty pretty soon, coming weeks, coming weeks, so uh, if you've got more questions, comments about this, make sure that you attend that class, there'll be opportunity to learn more about this, but... Um, Singing allows us to express unity. We're gathering together and singing together, raising our voices together because we have been brought together by the blood of Jesus, unified by His Spirit, and the way we sing captures that as we join our voices together. Fourth reason why we should sing. Singing tends to facilitate broad participation. Singing facilitates broad participation. That means all of us, Get involved when we sing. Now, of course, singing is led from the front here by certain musicians and singers who are gifted and skilled to do that. And I think that's an appropriate thing. For those who lead music, that's not just for anybody who decides that he or she wants to get up and lead. And I think this is very scriptural. Psalm 33 says this, Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with a harp of ten strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. And that's something I don't hear here too often. That's something I don't think I've ever heard in a Presbyterian church, a loud shout. Uh, That's something maybe we need to think about. How do we obey that passage? Um, But nonetheless, here we have this command for music to be played skillfully with some level of competence and excellence. Same thing here in 1 Chronicles 25. Um, this is, um, the context is the, the, the temple, I think it's the, the maybe the opening of the temple, and it says the number of the singers, that's them, along with their brothers who were trained in singing to the Lord. All who were skillful was 288 singers came out, but th- these are people who can, can sing well. Now, you don't have to be a A concert soloist. We're not looking for professionals here, but the church should seek to have its music be played with some level of competence and excellence. That is a proper way to lead God's people into worship. But it's not just those up front here who lead us in singing. All the congregation must sing. So I've shown you these passages where we're all commanded to sing, and. This gets to another reason why it's important for you to think of it this way, because it's easy to come here on Sunday mornings and just kind of fall back into this kind of passive kind of mindset. It's easy to come to a church and maybe think that this is really kind of a a show. It's kind of like a concert. And I'm just going to sit here and watch the show and listen to the music and hear somebody speak, and then I'm going to go home and have lunch. And it's easy to get into this mindset that I don't have a responsibility here. I'm a spectator, but friends, you're not spectators, you're participants, you're participants in worship. The instrumentalists and singers here are leading us, but they're not performing for us, they're leading, they're seeking to lead you so that you will sing along with them and so that together we will sing so there's broad participation of all of God's people. And I I don't mean just mumbling out the words either. Look what Psalm 47 says. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. Uh, Maybe that's another argument for the drums and the, the loud volume. I mean, the Bible does say we're supposed to sing with volume. And... It just seems here that it's been kind of hard to hear people singing in this place lately. We've talked a lot about this as a session and as a a staff. Maybe it has to do with the acoustics here. I'm not really sure. Maybe it has something to do with the mix and the way the band is playing. We're, we're, We're working on that. But you can help fix that problem by singing loudly every Sunday morning. That's a way for you to participate in worship here on Sunday mornings. I mean, when you don't sing, really, you know, you're not doing your part, quite frankly. And, and the rest of us suffer as a result of that. I mean, there are a few things as joyful, as refreshing, and as exhilarating as coming together with God's people and hearing everybody sing gladly and loudly about the grace of God and Jesus Christ as sinners. That is a wonderful experience. So, singing facilitates broad participation. We all get involved when we sing in this way. Last thing, singing is a grateful response to the gospel of grace. And and here might be the most fundamental reason why we sing. We're singing in response to what God has done, in particular to what He's done for us in the gospel. And why are we singing? What is it that makes us sing? It's our heart's filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. Do you see that also in verse 16? The singing of psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is done with thankfulness, with thankfulness in your hearts. In our hearts as Christians, we know what God has done for us. God God has... He has made us alive in His Holy Spirit when we were dead in trespasses and sins. He has forgiven all of our trespasses. He has canceled the record of debt that was written against us. He has nailed it to the cross, and He has triumphed over all the rulers and authorities and principalities in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And if that is something that you know, if that is something you believe, that has impacted you, your heart has to be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. And that ultimately is what should motivate us to sing. We are sinners saved by grace. We were looking to a future of eternity in hell, and God has rescued and redeemed us from that. We were totally lost spiritually, and now God has given us a way. We were orphans, we were strangers to God, now we're in His family. We call Him Father, He calls us Son, He calls us Daughter. That's what God has done for us in Christ. Are you thankful for that? Are you grateful for that? Does your heart, is your heart moved by that? Then sing. Sing. What a wonderful way to show God our thankfulness for his grace to us. And not just for what he's done in the past, but for what he's going to do in the future. And I'm just going to close with this uh, quote from C.S. Lewis. Wonderful quote that kind of comments on, you know, sometimes we come and maybe the singing isn't quite as joyful and glad as we'd like, but here's what Lewis says. Our services, he means worship services, both in their conduct and in our power to participate are merely attempts at worship, never fully successful, successful, often 99.9 percent failures. Meanwhile, he's saying, "Here's what's really happening. We are merely tuning our instruments. Every Sunday, we're, we're just getting tuned up here for a future. The tuning up um, of the orchestra can be itself delightful. You know, if you've ever been to the symphony, and you come in there, and you sit down, and you just hear everybody's tuning their instruments, I mean, it sounds kind of cacophonous, actually. You know, it's just a lot of dissonance, but there's something kind of exciting about it. It's like the concert is about to begin, and you start to get on the edge of your seat. And so Lewis says, the tuning up the oars can itself be delightful, but only to those who can, in some measure, anticipate the symphony. Every Sunday here, you know, no, no... no offense, guys, but, but the, the, this is not the symphony. The symphony is when we get to glory and we're gathered around the throne with all of God's people from every tongue, tongue, language, and nation, singing, freed from all of our sins and all of our frailties, lifting up redeemed, glorified voices before King Jesus for all eternity. That's the symphony. And right now, every Sunday, what we're doing is getting warmed up. that time so the question really is not why should we sing really the question is why why wouldn't you want to sing Christian how can we keep from singing how can we keep from singing Um, here's one of the very few sermons where we have an opportunity to apply it immediately after it has concluded and we're going to do that now so let's stand and sing Uh, God in heaven, thank you for the gift of music. Help us to use it for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen.